Hey everybody, welcome to the Crohn's Fitness Food Podcast, dedicated to raising awareness, sharing IBD stories, and offering support for those with Crohn's and colitis. Together, we can share knowledge, experiences, and help show the world the many faces of IBD. Well, hi everyone. Thank you for joining me today for another episode of the Crohn's Fitness Food Podcast. I'm your host, Stephanie Gish, Crohn's warrior since 2006 and lifelong fitness fanatic. My guest today is Katie Vinn, who is diagnosed in her early 20s with ulcerative colitis. In 2000, a blood clot in her leg was the driving force that took her to the hospital where her colon then ruptured and she underwent an emergency colectomy. Since then, she's been growing stronger, living life, sharing her story, raising awareness for IBD, and advocating for fellow Austinmates. Thank you so much for joining me today, Katie, and welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me, Stephanie. So before we jump into where you're at now and all of the advocacy work that you've been doing, why don't you start by sharing your IBD story? Of course. Thanks for giving me the opportunity to share it. My first ulcerative colitis flare was in the summer of 1999. I had just given birth to my daughter, Maya, who is now 19 years old. I was so happy to have her with me, but soon I started to have trouble eating. I was voraciously hungry, and I thought maybe, and I hoped that it was just about breastfeeding (laughs) and recovering from labor, but it lingered, and it just kept getting worse. I lost weight quickly. I was out of breath. I was dizzy. My stomach hurt no matter what I ate. Food ran through me, and then I started throwing up sometimes, too. So I started to struggle with with normal, everyday tasks, like walking to the laundromat and carrying my daughter around the house. I was afraid I would faint and not be able to care for her. It was a very frightening time for me. Soon after that, I was diagnosed with ulcerative colitis. That was in August of 1999. The doctors wanted me to have a colectomy right away, actually. They didn't think that the medication would be effective quickly enough. I decided to try a combination of medication and alternative therapies like acupuncture, chiropractic, and osteopathy. My year was difficult and painful, but I woke up every day with my daughter and spent all of my time with her. I tried changing my diet, taking steroids, nothing worked, it just got worse. I had times where there were encouragements where it was like, no, no, you know, keep trying, but um, I kept slipping. About a year later, in August of 2000, I woke up one morning with my right leg twice its normal size. And, you know, looking back on it now, I'm really grateful that I had this sign. Because if I hadn't realized I had a serious blood clot and gone to the hospital, I may not have been in the right place when my colon ruptured. So sometimes some of these things are a blessing in disguise. Mm -hmm. I was admitted right away and treated for the blood clot. And they also put a... um, a filter inside my vein to prevent the blood clot from breaking off and floating up into my lungs. While they were treating me for that, they also prepared me for my colectomy. And to be honest, at the time, I struggled with that. Um, But there really wasn't too much time for that. My colon ruptured and I ended up having an emergency surgery. And it ruptured while you were there in the hospital, correct? Yes, fortunately I was in the hospital and they had actually already come in, the OSPI nurse had already come in and and marked my abdomen where she felt the best place was for my ostomy and they had talked to me about it. 
I was 25 years old. I had a one-year-old daughter. You know, it's a hard decision for anyone. Um, at that age, I really, I struggled with it. But thankfully, mm-hmm. they had already prepared me, and I was in the right place at the right time. And even though it wasn't optimal timing because I was on blood thinners, which isn't the best way to go into a surgery like that, um, I was still very fortunate to have the right care. And how long, how many years had that been since you had gotten your original diagnosis? Only one. My my okay. illness came on very, like, furiously. <laughs> mm-hmm. wow. Yeah, it, it really was really strong, yeah. What was it like to discover that you'd had ulcerative colitis when it came on and they gave you that diagnosis? Did Did they give you any guidance or go through what the kind of the treatment would be like? Was it just a lot to take in? I'm assuming you'd maybe had no idea of what IBD was at that point. You know, I did know, I did know a little bit about it because, um, a relative of mine had ulcerative colitis Mm -hmm. and, um, he chose a lot of natural therapies and diet therapies and he was able to live like that for a long time. Um, just on on that kind of treatment. So I think that's part of the reason why I was inspired to fight for myself to see if I could save my colon. Um, And I think that is, you know, a natural instinct to want to, if you can, to avoid Mm -hmm. having to have surgery. So um, I did know some things about it. But also, you know, when I look back at what happened, um, there was a lot there was a lot, we've learned a lot in the past. I'm 44 now. So, you know, um, I was 25 then, 19 years. (laughs) Sorry, Mm -hmm. I had to do my math. (laughs) Um, We've learned a lot in the last 19, 20 years about health, about nutrition, about, especially about IBDs. And there's still so much for us to learn, but there weren't a lot of medical options. I think that's part of the reason why they said you need to have surgery right now. You know, right these days, I think they say, no, let's go through all these medications first and see if that helps. And surgery is the last option. But then surgery was the first option given to me. Tell me a little bit about the recovery process after that surgery. Um, Was it, uh, did they prepare you for that? Was it expected um, or kind of what was that that you went through for recovery? You know, they had prepared me for having an ostomy. Um... And they'd encouraged me and said, you know, you can have, especially the ostomy nurses were really wonderful and compassionate. They said, you know, you can have a really healthy life with an ostomy. You can even get pregnant again. You can have more kids, you know. So they were really encouraging as far as preparing me in that way to feel like I had something beautiful to look forward to. Um, As far as the recovery, I don't think they really got much of a chance to repair me what for what the recovery would be like, and they didn't know what it was going to be like. After I had my surgery, I was in ICU. I was in really rough shape, actually. I even had trouble keeping warm. They had to, uh, I don't remember what the machines are called, where they, your blood comes out and it gets warmed and comes back into your body. I don't know what that is. I had blood transfusions. I, had, I was in tough shape. And how long did you stay in the hospital until they were finally able to let you go home and recover at home? Um, I was in the hospital at least for two more weeks after that, I think, and then they discharged me into rehab because what happened was they were hoping I could leave, you know, pretty short, pretty soon after surgery. It was an 
an open surgery, not laparoscopic, of course. <clears throat> so that does take a little bit longer than a few days. Um, but they wanted to get me eating, and but I couldn't digest food. So that's really what held me up. I was throwing up. They thought maybe I had an eating disorder at first. And I said, no, I really want to eat. This is really, you know, the trauma my body has experienced. It's not used to digesting food right now. So I had TPN and then a gastric tube. And then once they had me, you know, more stable and I was walking a little bit every day, they discharged me to rehab and I was in rehab. I think it was about two weeks, two to three weeks in rehab. So tell me a little bit about fitness. Did that play a role in your recovery at all? Because you've always been active. I saw that in high school, I think you did track. And so you've always been an active person and, and you're well into martial arts now. So was there a, a transition or did fitness help play a role during that recovery? And then tell me what got you into the martial arts that you're doing now? Of course. Um, yeah, I love being active. I was an athlete, <clears throat> excuse me, an athlete my whole life. You know, growing up, I did gymnastics, track, soccer. After my surgery, I was really weak, so I had trouble moving around a lot. But so walking was the best thing for me. And I know that's usually the only thing they really recommend <laughs> right after surgery. But I was walking and then I did occupational therapy. So anything active really encouraged me not just physically, but mentally as well. It just made me feel a lot better. It gave me a lot of hope. Once I was discharged, I spent more time walking longer distances and spending time with my daughter outside. And then from there, I began to rollerblade and jog. So it definitely played a huge role in my recovery. I've always needed to work out a lot in order to feel um, best, you know, op like my best self, you know, with my digestion mentally, my mindset. I'm just happiest that way. I discovered martial arts about seven years after my surgery. And it was actually my daughter who chose MMA first. And I would go watch her classes. And I would mm -hmm. sit there and try to take everything in. And the instructor encouraged the parents to go home and practice with them and like hold the pads for them so they could practice their kicks and their punches and stuff. So I was really drawn to it. And I really wanted to get into it myself. And they noticed that, so they actually ended up hiring me um, to help supervise their summer camp, and I started training. And that's that's how my, my journey in martial arts started, yeah. <laughs> that's fantastic. So what are the benefits you find from martial arts now? Because it's very much an emotional sport, I would say, as much as it is, as it is physical. So tell me how it's benefited you over the years, because you've continued to do it. I think about 12 years now you've been doing this. Yeah, a combined about 12 to 13 years. I started with MMA, and then I trained MMA and capoeira, which is a Brazilian martial art. And then I switched just to capoeira, and I still taught MMA sometimes and, you know, brush up on my self-defense techniques sometimes. Um, well, martial arts has really become central to my life. It encourages discipline. It helps you build up your energy. It's a physical and mental challenge. I love the community because there's always a community involved, whether it's MMA, you know, you're training in a school. So you're meeting a lot of people who are also training with you and 
if you're in the right school, this is my belief, is that if you're in the right school with the right teacher, you learn that the people you train with are your friends. And you're there not to hurt each other, but to encourage each other to learn and to grow physically, grow as a person, um, learn to share and lift each other up. So that's what Capoeira means to me as well. Capoeira is a larger community. It's all over the world and there's different groups and the different groups work together. So there's so much room for growth as a person too. Um, now I'm forgetting what the rest of the question was. <laughs> so, um, but also, <laughs> but there's another part to it. Like you said, it's really emotional as well. And it's, I think it's really perceptive of you to notice that. For me, one of the things that martial arts has helped me with is kind of channeling any sort of, and I'm not an aggressive person, so I don't want people to take this mm -hmm. the wrong way, but any sort of like aggression, like dormant sort of like aggression or like anger from, you know, anything that happened to me when I was younger, like trauma or anything like that. It kind of gives mm -hmm. you an avenue, you know, to kind of like channel that kind of energy. And what I learned is that it transforms, like that energy just keeps transforming. And you've probably noticed this as well in any kind of fitness is that you can, you're kind of like recycling your energy, you know, mm -hmm. and um, cleaning it. I think that's what exercise does sometimes is it cleans our energy. Definitely does. Yeah. So tell me a little bit more about flares and managing the, the disease now, because you seem to be in a really good spot. You're spreading awareness. You're very positive, but it seems like your ulcerative colitis is managed. Do you have to do medications nowadays or did the surgery kind of alleviate that? Do you watch what you eat? What is it that you do now in addition to fitness? You know, I haven't had any flares since surgery. They did leave my rectum intact. So if I wanted to have um, the reversal, I could. I chose not to because I just didn't feel like it was the right choice for me. I feel really comfortable with my ostomy. And after everything I went through, I just um, didn't want to go through another surgery unless I felt like I really needed it. And I haven't. Mm -hmm. um, so I haven't had any flares. I have had, you know, some, especially in the beginning, I had what the doctor said was, was natural, was I had some, you know, um, discharge and like things like that, some like, like the urge to go sometimes from the rectum. Mm -hmm. But actually, you know, what's happened through my martial arts training and through having my diet be correct for me, I don't have that anymore. Like I don't have that pain there or anything like that. That kind of, and I didn't ever have a lot of pain there, but I know some people struggle with that and that's why they have um, their rectum removed as well. But I haven't had that. I follow a vegan diet because that's what I, you know, what works for me. And then I have a list of foods that I avoid or strictly limit because they aggravate my digestion or they're more likely to put stress on my ostomy. Um, mm -hmm. So things like, I mean, a lot of people avoid hard nuts and seeds. I'm pretty strict about that. If I eat hard nuts, it's a really small amount and I make sure I eat plenty of water. But I'd rather replace that with like almond butter or something so I don't even have to have any issues, you know? So, um, yeah. And then and things like tomatoes and spicy foods, they're too acidic for me. I think they always have been, but they kind of like make my stomach feel kind of bleh, but they mm -hmm. also in turn, that makes my output too thin and then that irritates my skin. So stuff like that, you know, some people get kind of frustrated with people who limit their diets, but when I do that, it empowers me and I have more freedom. And I have less bag leaks, if any, and I feel great. So that's what that, that's what that means to me. Mm -hmm. 
So tell me a little bit more about your diet and the process of discovering because IBD is so different for everyone that there really is this trial and error period of finding what works best for us. So what were some of the, the ways that you found you were able to change your diet and take you down the path to know that a vegan diet was the best? How did you discover that? Well, I was vegan before I got sick. And when mm-hmm. I was sick, um, I was encouraged to eat, you know, add in some different foods and see if that would help. So I went from being vegan to vegetarian and then adding, rotating in some different meats. And, um, you know, honestly, I can't say if it helped or hurt um, because I, nothing was really working at that mm-hmm. point. Um, so there was a period of trial and error with that. After my surgery, I went back to being vegan because that's how, when I'm healthy, I feel my best. And that's a, a choice physically, spiritually. You know, that's that's like sort of a holistic choice for me. If it helped me to eat meat and fish when I was sick, I probably would still do that. I'd probably still rotate it in or eat some. Um, mm-hmm. So, but my as far as you know, limiting certain foods, the the hard nuts and seeds that's been like that for a long time from surgery. Something like corn, I finally cut that out completely a couple of years ago because I started to not feel my best. And I cut out gluten at the same time. Um, and that's how I've come to this diet. So my diet's kind of evolved, in other words. Well, I want to get into your advocate, advocacy here in just a second. But tell me a little bit more about how your mindset has evolved and how it's shaped throughout the course of the disease because you're a very incredibly positive person. You have so much encouragement that you're, you're always sharing. And so you've really stepped into this role of, of being a role model for other ostomates and fighting a chronic illness. So tell me how that mind shift has, has evolved over the years to get you to this emotional place where you're at now. Well, you know, first at first when um, I was recovering and my daughter was young, my first priority was really to be able to take care of her a hundred percent myself. So I lived, you know, kind of a private life. I still had friends and everything, but I didn't share my story with everyone. I didn't share my, you know, having an ostomy with everyone. And I was very happy that way. It just, it felt very natural to me because I was already kind of a shy person. So it kind of suited who I was. And that was my main priority. Then over the years, you know, I wanted to reach out to other ostomates and get involved in some advocacy, but I was kind of caught up in raising my daughter and I didn't make it a priority. It was when I started working for a woman um, who does disability, she does disability stock imagery, which is mostly for visible disabilities. I was working with her and I was like, wow, I'd really like to do something with my own invisible disability. And at the time, you know, I didn't think of it as a disability. because I was afraid of what that word meant, to be honest. I was afraid of, if I said that, then people would want to limit me or in what I can do, you know, that they would feel like they would have to choose for me. Oh, she can't do martial arts because she has an ostomy. Or, you know, she can't raise her child alone because she has an ostomy. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. I was just really, I was actually really afraid of that. Um, so it took me some time to sort of understand what that was about and that I can embrace that and also be empowered at the same time. 
And I think that's a, a, a big problem right now with the stigma around illnesses and disabilities because we don't feel like sometimes like we can use our voices and be heard and be empowered and not be sort of minimalized and judged and have, you know, have our power taken away from us. So mm -hmm. that was kind of my transformation in that. And while that was going on, um, I, I started to look for different ways, you know, to do some advocacy. I wrote a piece on Medium about my, um, my experience with surgery because I had a near-death experience. So I started writing about that. That was a couple of years ago, 2017. So that was the first thing I put online. And then I started to, you know, I had a lot going on in my life that I had to put first, but I started to look for ways to advocate. I thought maybe I'd do some modeling um, with the woman that I was working for. That hasn't happened yet. It may happen. But in the midst of waiting for that, I was like getting more, like the urgency to do something mm -hmm. was just building inside me. <laughs> mm -hmm. So I was on Instagram and I saw pages like... Um, what is it? Pouch, pouch by pouch. Is that her name? And EMC underscore Brown, mm -hmm. um, both very positive, encouraging, compassionate people. And I was like, wow, maybe I should just start here. I need to do something like I can't just be waiting, you know, for some, the right thing to come. So that's when I started doing that, which for me, who doesn't take tons of selfies normally <laughs> doesn't mm -hmm. usually hides from the camera a little bit and from videos especially like that was kind of a big step for me so um as far as my mindset goes another thing that was holding me back was I was kind of hard on myself I was like Katie are you really ready to be a role model like this like do you have your life together well enough that people feel like wow, I can really learn from her. I'm inspired from her. So I was a little bit like, come on, Katie, like, <laughs> make sure, you know, like you're really going to be able to inspire people, you know? So that was one of my concerns and something I still try to balance is how, and I'm sure you have this too sometimes because you have such a positive voice out there, is that how do I be inspiring for other people and not just people with, with these illnesses, any anyone with any illness or struggle, also people who are trying to learn and grow. But how do I also balance that with being real and still feeling like myself? And um, so in the midst of that, I, 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 be I feel like I became stronger, actually. So tell me about some of the different avenues in which you're advocating, because you've definitely added a lot more to it. When did you I guess first tell me, how long have you had your Instagram? Has it been a couple of years now, or is it still fairly new? No. I just started it last fall. I think it was in October. Wow. Um, so very new. <laughs> yes. Yeah, it's really new. So that was my first step. Um, first time I took a picture with my bag showing and put it online. I think that was actually the first time I ever took a picture of my bag showing. What was it like to get to that point to where you felt ready, like, I'm going to do this? <laughs> oh, my goodness. It was actually, I was really nervous. But then I was mm -hmm. actually, it felt really free at the same time. So it was a combination. Um, and, you know, I, I asked my daughter how she felt about it first. And she was like, she was really excited about it. She was happy for me. And mm -hmm. But with every new step I take, there's that nervous excitement. Like once mm -hmm. when... Um, you know, when I did my first my first bag change video and put that up, I was like, oh, my goodness. <laughs> and then 
the first time I walked around in public with my bag showing was after um, that young, the 10-year-old committed suicide. And I was just feeling so, like, I really just wanted to put some love out into the world for him and, Mm -hmm. you know, stand up. And, you know, it was just, I just felt like I really had to do something and shout, (laughs) you know. Yes. Yes. But I decided, you know what, like, I don't have access to the news right now. I'm not ready to sort of like grab attention that way. So I was like, let me just do something I do every week that's normal for me and just do it with my bag showing. So I I went to talk to my daughter before I left to go out and I said, how would you feel about this? She says, go on with your bad self. (laughs) Awesome. So yeah, I couldn't believe it. I mean, I can believe she'd be supportive, but how she said it was just so sweet. So I went to the Mm -hmm. food store and just, you know, um, made sure that my bag showed and my shirt was kind of like tucked up above my bag. So, Mm -hmm. you know, just, it just showed and I didn't talk to anyone about it. I just made like a short video saying what I was doing. I was still nervous, but it was really freeing and it was really invigorating because it was like, okay, I'm not hiding this right now, you know? And mm-hmm. I think that kind of energy is, is really positive. What's been the biggest or most surprising thing that you've learned throughout this, this journey of being freed and showing the bag and starting to talk about it? What's been surprising about that? You know, I think that's a really good question. The thing that was most surprising to me was how much it has freed me to accept love and kindness. I didn't realize how much I was holding back from people and avoiding being close to some people because I wanted to protect myself, my daughter, from any judgment or hurt, you know? And, but there's also the side of me that likes to protect people from any pain I've experienced. Like, I'm like, no, no, it's okay. You don't have to step into my pain with me. You don't have to hurt with me. Like, that's something I've always learned from a young age. But the amount of acceptance and love and compassion in the world far outweighs that judgment. And even though I wanted to believe that, and even though, you know, in my heart that belief was like buried in there, I hadn't Mm -hmm. experienced it in such a positive, like such a big way. So it surprised me actually how powerful that energy is. That's awesome. So (laughs) tell me a little bit more. You've been doing the Instagram for less than a year now. But you've also just barely started a YouTube channel. So tell me a little bit more about what inspired you to start that and what you're sharing and doing with that. Well, I started the YouTube channel several years ago to encourage um, my best friend's daughter because she was a gymnast and she was only four. So we kind of did it for fun. Um, She's also a really competitive person. So She wanted to share, you know, how good her daughter was. So that's when I first started it. That video actually took off um, on its own (laughs) without us doing much. (laughs) Um, And the YouTube is just sort of sitting there. At different times, I've put up different videos of young... uh, There's a young musician on there that's my daughter's best friend, and she's singing an original song. And then, you know, I was kind of looking for a way to add my advocacy into the YouTube channel. I wanted to get back on it a couple of years ago. It just wasn't the time yet. And then as I was doing more on my Instagram, I just felt like it would be really good if I could broaden my audience. And it's helped me a lot to learn 
how to share my story with people. So right now, what the, ch the channel is becoming is it'll still have, you know, if, if any young athletes or musicians want to have their videos on there, they can do that as well. Because um, I want it to be the, the whole, you know, theme of the channel is a little bit broader than just my story. I want it to be about resiliency and hope. So whatever helps people from whatever age get over challenges and struggles in their life, I want to see that and I want to, you know, share that with people. For me, I want to share different aspects of my story. So I put a video up just introducing myself a little bit and how I feel about having an invisible disability. I'll also, sh I shared my near-death experience as well. And then there'll be some, you know, some how-tos and some tips to share with new Austinates and so that, you know, loved ones and friends and anyone else can start to educate themselves about what it's like to live with an ostomy. Um, then also I want to share, you know, some things about fitness and how, how much martial arts has helped me and, you know, practical things about how I adapt my training since I have an ostomy and basically continuing to live your dreams and mm -hmm. accepting that you have something that you need to adapt to, you know, but making sure that just because you, how you do something, how you live your dream looks different than someone else, doesn't make it less valuable, doesn't make it less inspiring, doesn't make it less worthy or um, motivational, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So that, that's basically what that's <laughs> about. <laughs> Those are great messages to be sharing and I know I'm really looking forward to to watching more of the content as it grows so very exciting I love how you just described all of that now are you, you also doing you're welcome are you also doing patient coaching is that what I saw on your page as well yes you've become a patient I'm so coach? excited about that I'm still training right now there's a training process so I'm training with the with the patient coach company 11 health and um, I'm really excited about that because it'll give me the opportunity to help um, other ostomy patients, you know, as they adjust to having a surgery and share from my experience. It's a really amazing company. Um, and the seat, yeah. How long is the training? How long will you be in that part of it? Um, let's see. Uh, I started the end of March, early April. So about, it's about two months or so. That's exciting. And then what's the, what does it look like once you're fully trained? Do they, is that when they start connecting you with new, new patients? Yes. So basically the, the company 11 health, they've created what they call a smart bag. So it's an awesome bag. Um, that they provide for the patients following their surgery so that the bag has sensors on it and the sensors monitor basically how the patient's doing with hydration, output levels, things like that. Because hydration is actually the top reason why ostomy patients end up back in the hospital following surgery. So um, yeah, so it does a lot to monitor that. And then also the patient coach is there to provide support um, and also make sure that the patient doesn't feel alone and that they have someone, you know, sort of helping them step by step adjust to their new life. That's pretty exciting to be able to be a part of that and to be able to do that. 
Yes, I'm really excited about that. It's a really beautiful company. There are so many people um, working together to make sure that the patients have what they need. So it's, it's really an amazing process. So tell me, what's the biggest challenge you think that you have faced in your entire IBD journey? And how did you overcome it? You know, the biggest challenge I faced was actually when I was sick was accept finding and accepting the support I needed. Um, it was difficult for, difficult for me to find the right doctor to work with. You know, the, the medications weren't working. And also understanding and learning to accept what kind of care I needed. I think that's normal. It's kind of like a normal process for a lot of people to struggle with that. No one wants to be sick, right? No one wants mm -hmm. to need surgery or to lose an organ or, or to have a, like, I guess you could call this a prosthetic, like a, a bag on their side. Like, it's not something that you think is going to happen to you or you plan for. So mm -hmm. accepting my illness and finding the care that I needed in every moment, that was the biggest challenge for me. It's still something that's hard for me sometimes to recognize what I need in life, especially with health. Mm -hmm. That's still something I have to remind myself, okay, Katie, you know, like, you mm -hmm. know, this is important. You have to act quickly and be proactive. I'm still learning how to advocate for myself. So that was probably the biggest challenge for me and also the biggest lesson. Mm -hmm. What do you think helped you reach that point of acceptance? Then, honestly, it was being very sick. Um, mm -hmm. and also the motivation of wanting to make sure that I would be there for my daughter. So mm -hmm. be, being, being so sick that it was, it was made very clear to me. I only had one choice. It, you know, my, the story I wrote on medium is called the choiceless choice. Like you don't, it's not really a choice because life is telling you, you have to act right now. So it's really difficult and painful, but it's also a blessing because it's telling you, do this right now. If you want to live, make this choice, you know? Mm -hmm. So, and I think that's one thing about IBDs that people don't understand is that you have to be so strong to have an IBD. You have to really mm -hmm. want to live to, to get to a place, whether you're taking medicine or you're doing diet therapies, it takes so much discipline, so much inner strength to know what you need, recognize it and take that action. You know, and I just think it's just amazing how strong people are. It really is. So mm -hmm. now I have to ask, because you've mentioned it a couple times, but I have to know, tell me about this near-death experience that you had and what it was like to go through that. Well, you know, when we already talked about when my, my colon ruptured, I was rushed to the ICU and um, I... I asked them for help. They were preparing me already, but I still said it because I was just gasping for breath. My whole body was just in, encompassed and enveloped in pain. Like it was just very painful. But there was also this tremendous release at the same time, which felt like at the moment a relief from pain because I think the rupturing of the colon probably, you know, relieved some of the pain. But it was also a letting go. So... It was in that moment, again, that I faced this, like, awareness that I was about to die, you know. So, um, but they put me under very quickly. They acted really quickly, and they got me into surgery. And I remember my surgery. I remember 
leaving my body and watching over my body. I remember the sound of the machines. I remember feeling hands in my abdominal cavity, moving my organs around. I remember the, like the feeling of their hands being there and the, the energy of urgency, you know, mm-hmm. that they were just moving carefully, and, but also quickly to make sure that I'd be okay. Um, so I remember, I'm actually a very empathic person, so I remember experiencing what they were experiencing. The pain, the pain they felt and the awareness that they felt that I might not make it. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but the, the thing that was the most um, memorable about it was that as I was experiencing this, I felt complete and total love and acceptance. Mm-hmm. To the point where I was completely freed from any pain or panic or anxiety for myself. I didn't feel any fear about in that moment about what was going to happen to me. I felt completely cared for and supported and loved. And as I was thinking about how to talk about it to people, you know, there's this term near-death experience. I started using that because I wanted people to feel like they could relate to it, like they would recognize right away what I was talking about. But as I was writing about it to share it on YouTube, I realized, what is that really about? Like, what is that that all-encompassing love? And what I realized is that how it felt was that not just that my spirit left my body, but that I became one with God, that I became one with this universal love and acceptance that we all hope for, we all hope really exists. And after my surgery, I was in ICU, and I had the same, you know, I just felt like love just kept washing over me. And um, every person who came to see me, all I experienced was love in every situation. Nurses that I'd never met before, doctors who, you know, I had seen, or new doctors coming in, everything was pure love. And I've carried that with me since then. There have been times where, you know, I've, I've struggled with faith and, you know, but I've, any time that I've had a hard time in life, I had a tragedy recently in the past couple of years and it reminded me again and I saw my life in reverse and mm-hmm. that same feeling rushed over me again. Um, but while, while it was happening, I, the one thing I prayed for is I prayed that um, I prayed that I could still be a mom. And you are. Yeah. What an, in- what an incredible story and just experience. And I mean, I, sitting here getting goosebumps listening to you tell it and just you know the emotion and seeing the the love that is out there it's, it's pretty incredible so thank you for for yeah. sharing You're you know welcome. such a moving thank experience you. thank you for asking yeah thank you so as we get ready to wrap up one of the things i always like to ask people is there one thing that you wish people knew about crohn's and ulcerative colitis but they don't I think um, the one thing that I've come to understand more is that these illnesses are very sneaky, you know, and um, they're called invisible illnesses for a reason. There's a reason why people go undiagnosed for years sometimes. It's because the disease is kind of like in and out. It kind of eludes us. 
And I think really, um, it's really important to have faith and believe in miracles. And I also believe there will be a cure. Like I believe there are cures coming. I feel like everything is evolving and changing, but I also feel like it's important that, um, especially support people and people who don't understand the illness. It's important that they understand that it's difficult to control an illness like this and affects people in multiple ways. You know, it doesn't just affect their gut, it affects joints, it affects mental health, sometimes it affects your heart health. There's a lot of different pieces to it. And as I was saying before, I think that if people start to understand that, they will see how strong IBD warriors are. They'll start to understand that it's not an easy life, but it's very beautiful life. I don't, it's, it's really hard mm -hmm. to kind of put that in the same sentence. But it's, it's, it's a really big challenge to have an illness like this. And it really speaks a lot to how strong people are who have these illnesses and how much they have to share with others because of what they're going through. So I think um, I'm kind of saying a lot more, <laughs> more than <laughs> one thing that I wish people knew about this illness. I'm not really <laughs> a There's a lot person, that people but, need to learn. <laughs> yeah, they need to learn a lot. But um yeah, there's so much that people with IBDs can teach people, you know, mm -hmm. like just the whole stigma that, you know, people with illnesses are weak or people with illnesses, you know, have nothing to contribute. It's a little crap, you know, and there's so much that we can learn from each other, from the challenges that we face, the strength physically and mentally that we have to develop, the discipline that we have to develop. There's just a there's a lot, there's a lot there to learn, yeah. There really is that you said that just beautifully and thank you just like you just like you I'm also excited for the research that's out there the cures that are coming I think they are and we kind of mentioned earlier just how much knowledge we've gained in the past you know 20 years it's just incredible the options that have become available and the progress that's been made so mm -hmm. it's coming Definitely. It is. It's coming. I can feel it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. So if people want to follow your journey and keep up with you, we mentioned your YouTube and the Instagram. Tell us how they can find you and where the, those locations are online. Of course. Um, well, definitely my Instagram, My Grand Canyon. My Twitter's smaller. I just started a new one to go along with me sharing my story. That's My Grand Canyon double zero for the year that I had my colectomy. And then my YouTube is my name actually, Katie Vin. Um, but you can probably also find it searching my Grand Canyon. Those are the best ways really to reach me. People are welcome to message me, um, make comments, ask questions, share stories, you know, request any information or any videos. I'm more than happy to do my best to do that. Fantastic. And tell me, how did the name My Grand Canyon come about? Is there a story behind that? <laughs> yes. So, you know, <laughs> all these years, I never named my stoma until mm -hmm. recently, but I named my scars. I named my scars My Grand Canyon because to me, a canyon, mountainous, you know, area is just really beautiful. And it's something that was sort of carved out by nature. So, mm -hmm. um, 
even though my stomach isn't the same, it doesn't look the same or feel the same as it was when I was born, I still think it's very beautiful. And um, I love the grooves and they're really familiar to me and they hold a lot of significance for me in that that's how my life was saved. That's how I'm here. Mm -hmm. It also reminds me not just how strong I am as a person, but how lucky I am to be here. And... um, to not not take that for granted so that's where that name came from and then a few months ago I decided to name my stoma Leia um, mm-hmm. from from the word Himalaya for the mountains because that's one of my favorite places is the Himalayan mountains and mm-hmm. Leia in Hindi means musical rhythm or harmony so mm. I yeah. love that I, I love Thank you. Both the stories <laughs> on both those names, and and I especially mm-hmm. I especially love how you recognize that you know a canyon can really tell a story because it's it's just carved mm. from so much time. And you think about that, and you can just see the layers and the history and the time. It's kind of that that journey. So it's just a yeah a beautiful exactly. way to describe it. Yeah. So we certainly talked about a lot today. Is there anything that I did not ask you that you wanted to share with us today? I don't think so. You know, when I um, read through your questions, they all led me deeper into understanding who I am, my story, uh, my advocacy, my journey. So I actually really appreciated how much time you took in writing these questions for people. So I wanted to thank you for that, actually. So I guess that's the only thing I want to say <laughs> is it helped, it helped me open up more. Um, awesome. So that was, that felt really good. Thank you. Well, yeah. thank you. And I really appreciate you sharing your story and sharing your journey. I, I really love getting to know fellow IBD warriors and just hearing where they've come from and just like you mentioned it earlier we have so much to learn from each other that it's Mm -hmm. it's really inspiring to hear one person's story and be able to take something from that and make your path a little bit smoother and so we do have so much to learn from each other so I really appreciate you sharing everything you did and just coming on to talk with me so thank you thank you so much for having me this was a really beautiful experience Thank you for listening to the Crohn's Fitness Food Podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you have an IBD story, either as a patient or a family member, that you'd like to share as a guest on this podcast, or if you have a topic you'd like to hear about, send me an email at Crohn'sFitnessFood at gmail.com. If you'd like to learn more about me and my Crohn's journey, follow me on Instagram using at Crohn's Fitness Food, or visit my blog for in-depth articles about my struggles and victories with Crohn's through diet, fitness, and lifestyle at www.cronesfitnessfood.com. And finally, remember, be strong, be grateful, and be the warrior that you are.